God with you tonight. Um, good evening also if you're joining us at home. I hope you are, are comfortable. I hope you're probably in your garden enjoying the sun. Um, we hope, well I hope, that you uh, get something from the Word tonight and feel inspired um, by what I'm about to share. So Pastor Andy over the last couple of weeks on Sunday mornings, in, mornings has been sharing about, um, well we've been building up on this discipleship and then this morning he spoke very much about disciple making and, and, dis, and, and discipleship within family church and tonight I want to share about the culture of disciple making within family church. Before I do, um, I wanted to share this little story today about my little girl Amelia, everyone knows, most, most of you know Amelia, so she's come home from kids church today and it blessed my heart, you know, you think, wow, that's my child, that was that. Um, and so that today they came home with uh, little kind of things that they had filled in about um, blessings that they were going to do, little, little, little kind of bits of information. I'm there busy sorting something out. She's, she's come and giving it to me and, she, and I've looked at it and I thought, wait, she, what she had written was um, this little voucher was to John. And now John is a homeless man that lives outside Tesco. This is a voucher for some Jaffa cakes that she wants to go and give him. And I'm like, wow. That's my little girl outside of like not me there, but just because I've spoken about this guy that you know I go down and go and see, and I usually end up coming home and being like, yeah, John was there, had to buy him coffee because you can't walk past him and not get him it or Jaffa cakes, and usually it's Jaffa cakes. And so she's heard me bless her multiple times talking about this story, and there's her little thing. So all, all this afternoon she's been like, Jackie, he's there, Jackie, he's there, and a couple of times I went down there and he wasn't there. I'll be, he'll be there this week at some point, but I thought it was incredible that this is. Uh, this is some, some, something relevant to, to, to discipleship is that our lives are being watched. Yeah. You know, you don't realise it. You know, I didn't sit there telling media that she needs to go and do this or, or, or anything. It was just me doing my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there she is picking up on it without me even knowing it, wanting to do the same. And, and that's relevant to all of us, you know. Um, Charlotte also did a nice one. Hers was going to help mummy cook a meal. Wow. So, that's, a, that's going to be, that's going to be good, good, a good evening when she does that. But yeah, it, it's just amazing that our lives are being watched. I think that's something, um, as we go into this, is to, is to remember that our lives are really being watched, you know? And um, we have a responsibility to the way in which we live our lives, for the glory of God. Yeah. Um, a lot of what I might say might be reiterating some of the stuff that Pastor Annie's already shared, but that's okay, because I think if we say multiple things over and over again, it goes in. Like, I was like that at school. Like, let's keep saying it, keep saying it, keep saying it, eventually we go in. Um, so tonight, yeah, we're going to start Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Very familiar verse. We've heard it the last couple of Sundays, which says, um, I'm going to read it in two versions. The first version of New King James, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, far, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of age. So again, you'll be very familiar with this, the Great Commission. Um, we, we would have heard this many times in church. Um, but I want to read it in the Passion Translation as well. Something I've really got into recently is the Passion Translation. I, I got it, started reading it. I thought, wow, so really, like, if you like, you know, just reading, it's great. Just kind of read through um, the Bible in almost like a modern language. It doesn't change any of the meaning. It's just a really, really good way it's worded. Mm-hmm. And so here it is. It says, now, wherever you go, make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them to faithfully follow all that I've commanded you. And never forget that I'm with you every day, even to the completion of this age. And I love that. I love the way it starts. Now, wherever you go, wherever you go, make disciples. I like the way that that's worded because it's, we all live in different places. We've all got different worlds. Yeah. And it's not about, you know, 
church, it's about wherever you go into your world, yeah. be making disciples. Um, one of the important things to remember is that Jesus never commanded us to save people or to make Christians. Right. You know, getting someone saved is God's job. It's not our job, it's not my job to, 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 to save someone. I can't save no one. I, can, I couldn't save myself, but I can't save no one. Psalms 3.8 says this, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. And Psalm 62.1 says this, truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. It's not about us. Salvation is the work of God. Um, and we've all, you know, we, we should all know that. I mean, it's nothing we can do. But something that I love is that we have the incredible pleasure of watching people receive their salvation. Yeah. Isn't that amazing that we can watch that? We can watch a life receive salvation. Um, but obviously the saving itself is the work of God. Mm-hmm. It's God who saves. We're co-workers with God. Um, and I love what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. They were bickering amongst themselves. Very often the Corinthian church were, you know, various things. But in 1 Corinthians 3, 5 and 9, Paul's trying to get them to see that it doesn't matter who they were baptized by, who they follow in, or why I'm a follower of Paul, I'm a follower of, of, of um, uh, Apollos, sorry, yeah, that's it, yeah. I was going to say Barnabas, but it's not, it's Apollos, yeah. Um, Apollos, and, and, and there's this bickering, and I love what Paul writes him, he says, after all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom we believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your heart and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or does the watering. This is the bit I love. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters the work, uh, work together with the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers and you are God's field. You are God's building. Yeah. And I love this. And I mean, we've heard this many times, I'm sure, before, talking about us being the building. And, but what I love is that it's God that grows people. We're merely there to help people, walk alongside people. And, and Paul was trying to emphasize that. It's not me doing this for you guys. Why are you saying you're following me? It's, it, it, it's me that's sowing the seed. But it's, it's God that's growing the seed within you. And I think that's an important question that we need to ask ourselves. Um, am I growing in God? Because discipleship has to start with us. Has to start with are you a disciple? Are we, are we, you know, when we're talking about a culture of discipleship, it has to, you have to look in the mirror first and foremost and decide what you are. And, you know, growth, we should be growing in God every day, right? Every day we should be growing closer and closer to God. And I have this kind of weird picture at the back that so often we can't see our growth. And it's like your children, you know, or anyone. You know, you've not seen someone in a really long time. It's weird when you see them, like lockdown's interesting. You're seeing kids again, and kids you think, well, they've grown. Because you haven't seen them day in and day out. Um, and all of a sudden, when you see them for the first time, you see the growth. And you're like, whoa. And I'm sure the parents of the child didn't even see the growth because they're accustomed with it every day, seeing it. And sometimes our walk with God can be like that, you know. We're not seeing the growth, but we've got we to gotta take the time to look back. And one of the funny things that I have done is, you know when you like take journals when you're, you're first saved and you look at some of the notes you've taken and you think, oh, that was really immature, like, knowledge I was writing down there. Well, it's like silly stuff, you know, because you're just not, you're just a little bit emotional with it and you're not really, like, deep in your faith and you realise when you look at the longevity of it that you've grown in God. You realise when you look back that you've grown in God and it's important to look at ourselves and realise are we growing? Because if we're not, if you're looking back at 10 years and going, I'm the same person, 
We need to maybe have a talk, like what, what's going on? Is there any level of growth in you? What, why not? Because maybe we're not getting the ceiling. Maybe we're not allowing ourselves to be in a place where God's growing us. Um, and God wants to grow us, right? God yeah. wants to stretch us. And it's yeah. frustrating sometimes when God grows you because he puts you in an awkward, horrible position where you think, I don't have to do this. <laughs> but you know he's going to grow you because of it. You know it's those situations. I'm thinking we're looking at um, Pastor Ray, we're looking in the Philippines. Those situations when I, ha- I was put on the spot there and I was thinking, oh, anything. Let me run into the field away from everyone. <laughs> like, let, let me leave this, this moment. You know? It's those moments when... God's growing you and developing you and sometimes we shouldn't be frightened of those moments we should be knowing that God's doing yeah. something good Sorry. be more frightened of the fact you're not getting asked to do any of this from God because you're like, well God, why don't you want to grow me? you know, those moments are for us to, to, to take on board but the emphasis that I want to make here is that our job is not to save people it's to help people and it's for God to do the saving and, it, and, it, and it's for us to look at the, to help with the growing, it's, it's for us to look at ourselves first and foremost, and, and is God doing a work in us? Um, as I said, He commands us to go make disciples, not converts or Christians, but disciples. And so, as I was um, looking up some facts, I end up doing this. I get in my strong concordance, and I get a bit like lost with it, or carried away, and I start like thinking, I wonder how many times it says this, and I, and I start getting like completely lost in this kind of stuff. But I did it with this. Fun facts, the word Christian, and I looked at some other words. So the word Christian, it's just a Greek word, Christianos, simply means a follower of Christ. Yeah. But the, the, the next bit, which was interesting, was the word Christian, again, this was in the King James, New King James Bible, is actually only mentioned once. The actual word, the singular word Christian. I thought, well, that's interesting. The word Christian, plural, mentioned twice. So three times we have this word used within the Bible. But the word disciple, 29 times, the word disciples, 241 times. Yeah. It's mentioned a lot. Disciples is mentioned a lot. Christians, not really thought of, not really like kind of a word that's used that, that often. And I think the reason being is because I think they need to realise that we're not Christians, we're disciples. Mm. Um, you know, the, the, the disciples of Jesus, when we read in the, the, the Gospels, they were disciples, they were followers of Christ. But... Um, Again, Christians are followers of Christ, but a disciple, we're going to look at this word as well, is not just a follower of Christ, they're learners of Christ too. And the word disciple is the Greek word mathetus, and it means learner or pupil, but I love this, it goes further in its meaning, and it actually means someone who imitates their teacher. Isn't that great? An imitator of the teacher. Um, So we as disciples are not called just to follow Christ, but we're called to imitate Christ. And that's the depth in which we've got to look at. 1 Corinthians 11.1, this is Paul writing again to the Corinthian church. He's talking a load of stuff in 1 Corinthians 10 regarding um, food and things like if something you're doing is going to offend someone else, maybe think about not doing it. But then he goes on to say this in 1 Corinthians 11.1, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. You know, this is discipleship right here. What's he saying? I have a people following me, and I am following Christ. Yeah. And so he is receiving, and he is giving. Yeah. And this is the picture of discipleship, that he was imitating Jesus, and he wanted others to imitate Jesus through him. Not him, not Paul. This was the argument in the beginning, wasn't it? It's Christ who, 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 who we need to follow. Yeah. And then our that life to fill us. So again, things like why we get baptised. Why? Because Jesus was baptised. And the disciples are imitators of Christ. So if I'm an imitator of Christ, then I'm going to follow the ways of Christ. 
There's a significance in the power of baptism, new birth water and the Holy Spirit baptisms, you know? They're not just a religious ceremony. They're certainly not a sprinkling of water like when you're a baby. You know, when I went down in the waters of baptism, I came up never smoked again. There was a significance in the recognition of death, burial, and rising again to newness of life. Um, Jesus also um, commands his disciples to teach others to obey everything he taught them. Um, So once again, this is creating not just followers, but imitators of Jesus. You know, in these three moments here, he, he speaks very much more about than just making disciples. There's the whole baptism factor. There's the whole um, creating followers. There's the whole getting people to be obedient to the word. So again, disciples, so a disciple is someone who follows and imitates Christ. And that's who we need to be, not just a follower, but an imitator of Christ. And again, who is a disciple? Well, every person. Every single person that puts their faith in Jesus Christ if we've believed in him and made him Lord and Saviour, then we've not just become a follower, but a disciple, right? We've become a disciple. We've become someone that wants to, for me, this is me speaking now, who wants to be everything that Christ was. I want to walk in everything that he walked in. I want to have everything that he, he had. But I also want to help others get to that same place yeah. as well. Every person is a disciple. Again, not just the leaders. It's not just down to us. It's not just down to leaders in church and thinking they're doing the job. The leaders are disciples, but they're also there to equip the body of Christ to be disciples. You know, it doesn't mean the leaders aren't meant to be disciple, disciples, they are. But they're also meant to be joining them with the whole body. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says this. It says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Apostles, prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Well, who's the responsibility on them? The body, the whole body to build, build up, build each other up. So we've been called to this incredible work. As again, as I said, this isn't just down to the leaders that have been called. We've all been called. And I feel grateful that we're all called to it. You know, you're not, we've all been called to this incredible work of allowing others to come and see God in you and walk and want to go after him and yeah. follow him. Yeah. Again, what is the work we've been called to? A simple, what I've said already, you know, to make disciples... You know, not to, not to get people just saved or all converts, but to make disciples, to bring them, uh, bring people through correct rebirth and to help te- people to follow the teachings of Christ and bring them to a place where they're imitating Christ's ways in their own lives. This is what we want to see in family church. We don't want to just suffer so long. Me and Paula, we, we worked we, on the New Christians team. We served faithfully and we had a faithful team. But so often we would see people come, they're excited and they're there and they're loving this and then you don't see them again. And it's like, where are those people? My passion, my heart is to see these people go further than that. It's to go and see them become powerhouses for the kingdom of God. You know, it's just to see people transforming in their own little world and society. Because God has not only um, completely saved them, but now they're being discipled. They're being walked alongside and they're being challenged to live to the standard that God's called us. Why? By being obedient to his word. And again, like I said, we have the privilege of being a part of this today in our lives, in our worlds. You know, we've got to take the discipleship factor and the thing off of our heads that it's a church thing. It's a heart thing. Yeah. It's who we are. Yeah. We are disciples of Christ. 
you know, I'm, I'm more of a disciple than I am a Christian. The word Christian, now after reading this, I'm like, actually, it's not even in the Bible. It's funny, isn't it? When, when I first got saved, there were so many things I thought were in the Bible that weren't, you know. Like, I, I was expecting to see things about the Pope. I was expecting to see how to do the incense and all that. I was genuinely, I was like, the fact that it was real, that's funny. It really is, because I was sat there in Discovery thinking, this is a book written by who? Like, random fishermen, and what I was thinking, what? I never knew this. Genuinely thought it was a book on how to be religious. Um, but the fact is, it's a, it's a book to help us. It's the, it's the word of God to sharpen our lives and actually help us grow closer to God. And again, like I said, we have the privilege of allowing other people um, to walk alongside other people as disciples of Jesus in this modern day and sharpen other people. So again, if we're to be imitators of Christ, this is simply it, that we need to imitate him. Not our church, not family church. We've not come to... to the, the reality is, if we come because we like family church, in a season it will change, out of season it will change. We've come to worship Jesus. We've come, he's the, he has to be the one. He has to be the reason why we're here. If it's because we like the worship, the worship will change. Yeah. And you'll get bored and walk away. It can't be about that. We need to mature in our, in our understanding and see the reason why I'm here. If no one else was, I'd still be here because Jesus is here. This is why we have to come. And if he, you know, my, my father-in-law, 103 years old, and he always tells me, when you speak, speak Jesus. Like that, and he's African. Sorry, that was my attempt at doing that. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, like, this is a man of God here. And that's all he does. He just, he just talk Jesus, Jesus. And I mean, the, the guy... He, 103 years old, I mean, it's done good for him just speaking Jesus and letting Jesus be the, be the core of who he is. Because when we let him be the centre of who we are, God does good things with our life. The problem is we get hold of our own lives and we end up making mistakes. I, you know, we try and do, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. He has to be the very cornerstone of our lives. Everything else doesn't matter. Jesus matters. He has to be the thing that sharpens us. You know, I'm not here because I love the leaders. I love the leaders, but that's not why I'm here. Yeah. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm here because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, called us here, called me here, and I'm here because of Him. So if everything else collapsed, I'm still here, God. Because unless you say, then I don't go. This is the way in which we should be handled in church. Discipleship is not something we just do in church. It's the very core of who we are. It's our heartbeat. When we're in our workplaces, we may not preach Jesus, but we're sharpening people by the way we live. Yeah. What did I say about my daughter Amelia? I didn't tell her about any of this, I just lived it. Yeah. And there she is picking it up. Right. We need to be swords, sometimes silent swords, but our life can emanate Christ. It can pour out Christ just through the very actions and ways in which we live. Yeah. I've tried the whole preaching stuff. That nearly got me glass when I worked in a pub. And I was stood there and I was telling this guy, about Jesus, and he went mental at me, and I thought, wow, this is not the way to do it, Sean, so I had to take a, take a step back. There's drunk person as well, that doesn't help when you're trying to do it. But actually living a life that's just letting God be, because I'm close to him, that's a life that's infectious. It causes people to, to, to want it. And so what I'm going to do is quickly, I've got six, um, six points, really kind of short, and look through them, about Jesus, and I think if we're to imitate him, then there's certain things that probably we're going to go through in life that we should take on the chin and walk through and, 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 and also encourage others about this situation. So remember, this isn't just about us, but it's about who's behind us. It's about those people that aren't even in church yet that are going to come to know God. And actually, each one of us here may stand and mentor each one of these people and help them develop. So the first thing that I think of when I, when I think of Jesus 
is that he went through the waters of baptism, as I said before, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. It's one of those things that that's what he did, therefore we should do it, you know? It, it's just, it's the, it's the symbol of that. I remember sitting in um, Discovery at the time, and I'm a little bit all in, and I'm a bit, I can be a bit extreme with stuff, and a bit like, a bit over the top, really? but, yeah, <laughs> you wouldn't believe that. But, <laughs> They, they told me yeah, baptism, and I heard it, and I thought, right, that's it, I'm in. Next baptism, I'm done. I'm done. I'm all in. This is this is what Jesus. If this is what's required, not religiously, but this is the, this is the outward sign of the the inward change. And I'm having some of that, and and I'm going to follow it. Um, and this is how we need to be. Luke three twenty one to twenty two. It says, one day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus Himself was baptized. He's my teacher. I'm imitating him. I'm going to be baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. Right? That's it. I'm having some of that. I'm going to have some of the Holy Spirit because it happened to him, therefore it's going to happen to me. And whoever's following me, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit have a moment with them as well. I'm going to teach them that they should be receiving the Holy Spirit. And it said, and a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son. Um, and you bring me great joy. Yeah. And that's great, isn't it? That's, the, that's God speaking over his son, but he's speaking out over us as well. Yes. So baptisms is one of the first things we do. We come to a place initially of new birth, right? We give our lives, and in that moment, we are given a brand new spiritual life. This is the thing that excites me more than anything, when you see a life come, come brand new. Yeah. Not physically, but you know inside, God has done a wonderful work in them. Yes. Um, so the next thing, is that recognition, is to teach that person, to teach ourselves if we haven't understood it, that we are now new creations in Christ, all things have become new, the old is gone. And the next thing is to be baptised for the remissions of sins, to say that no longer lives, I now live for Christ. Galatians 2.20, by faith I live um, in the Son of God. You know, the, old, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, He died for me. So again, and then it's the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Simple. I mean, it's just something that, again, for me, I'm going to believe it, I'm going to walk in it, I'm going to teach it. I'm not going to question it, I don't think I need to be baptised. No, no, I am. And I'm going to help other people get to a place where they can be fully, fully baptised. Something, why? Because he, I'm an imitator of Christ and Christ did it. Simple, right? Secondly, he was taken through seasons of trials in the wilderness, but he overcame. You know, in Luke 4, 1-2, the moment before his ministry exploded, he was taken, wasn't he? Led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And it says this, And then Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Um, Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. And then in uh, verses 13 to 15, it says this, When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. He's a snake, isn't he? Until the next opportunity comes. He's not given up. He'll continually come. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power, and reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in the synagogues and was praised by everyone. Why do I mention this? Well, the reality is Christ went through temptations and trials and tribulations, we're going to go through them as well. And we need to help understand and teach other people that things will come and knock at your door and try to take you down. And this is the importance of discipleship. We need to be around those people, especially young Christians that, let's be real, they give their life on Sunday, the devil's coming Sunday afternoon. He's going to come. Oh, you silly person, that was a bit weird, wasn't it? Why did you do that? That's the thoughts they're going to start thinking when we come in and say, no, no, no. We come in immediately with a phone call, whatever it may be. Or it could be someone we're walking with and we're praying for them, continually praying for people. And But for our own lives, it's important yeah. to understand that in, in John 16, 33, Jesus even promised this. 
Here on earth you will have many troubles, many trials and sorrows. Oh, thanks, Jesus. It's a great promise. Yeah, like, thanks for that. But he says, he doesn't leave it there, Tony, don't worry. He says, take heart, for I have overcome the world. Yeah. We can take heart because Christ has overcome the world. Yeah, we're going to have trials, we're going to have troubles, and we need to encourage other people, especially people with discipline. Things are going to come knocking on your door and try and take you out. And life is life. Yeah. Things don't always go as we want them to go. But it doesn't mean God changes. In fact, he says he overcame the world. Therefore, you're an overcomer. Yes. So in the midst of the trials, the tribulations, and all the mad stuff that you think, why is this happening to me? God's still God. Yeah. And so we come alongside people and we help them and we build them up and we strengthen them no matter what. And that means for us as well. You know, we should be, having, we should be under some level of discipleship ourselves where we are able to go and receive. Because it, like Paul said, that has, he's imitated Christ. Follow me. And this is the reality for all of our lives. So I think we should have the upward and the downward. Someone we're leading and being led. You know, we should all have that in our own lives. The next thing that, um, that we look at Jesus is he chose people to follow him. And he taught them, taught them the ways of the kingdom of God. And then caused him to become like him. So, um, yeah, in Luke 5, 1, 3 and then 10 to 11. I'll read these together. It says, one day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out in the water. So as he sat on the boat, he taught the crowds from there. And then in 10 and 11 it says, Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid, from now on you'll be a fisher for people. And as soon as they had landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Yes. When you have an encounter with Jesus, you can't help but want to follow him and leave everything. Um, and in this moment, Jesus was here preaching and was, was pressed hard with people, but he noticed people. He, he, he saw the people that God was calling to him to teach. And he called them, and it's an incredible moment, as we know, they were never the same again. So as we follow Christ in our everyday lives, the very life of Christ should be something others want. It should be. It should be tasty to other people. What does Jesus say? You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Isn't that awesome? You know, salt, saltless food is pretty good. When you put salt on it, it's magical, isn't it? It's like, wow, how did that? Wow, that's lovely. You can put too much salt, don't get me wrong. You can be overly salty. Um, But I mean, like that is a great thing. It's a great thing when others, who, let's be real, we live in a very bland world. Society's become lost with who it is. When salt turns up, taste turns up. And Jesus is saying that you're the salt of the earth. Others will come, God will bring, um, God will bring people um, when, we, when we need, uh, sorry, God will bring people and we need to be ready to let them follow our lives. So again, we need to be ready to be, our lives to be completely changed. The disciples' lives, they probably didn't wake up this morning thinking, Oh, that Jesus is coming today and I'm going to follow him. They were washing their nets and all of a sudden Jesus turned up in their world and their life was never the same again. That can be the same for us leading people. That we need to be ready that someone might come. We can't be too busy that we're not willing to, to lay down and let them be led. Oh no, I can't. I've got that one Tuesday. No, I can't do that. Sorry. We need to be willing. We need to be um, allowing God to be the very first thing in our lives that we're able to lead people no matter what. You know, because why? Because we're imitating Christ and Christ did that. He lived not for himself, he lived for the purposes of the kingdom of heaven. Store up for yourself where? Treasures on earth? No, in heaven. Don't store up for yourself treasures here where rust and moth um, destroy. That's good, that's good. So again, um, he exercised, I love this, the authority of heaven everywhere he went. And not only that, he taught others to do the same. Yeah. Um, in Luke 4, 40 to 41. 
Um, there's many statements about Christ doing all this, but I just picked this one. It says, as the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter their diseases, I love that, no matter their diseases, um, diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. No matter what, the, the touch of Jesus can heal any disease. Amen. Any disease. Amen. Many were possessed by demons, and the demons came out at his command, shouting, You are the Son of God. But because they knew he was the Messiah, he rebuked them and refused to let them speak. He was no, not messing about Jesus, was he? He was a powerhouse of the kingdom of God. You know, you bring me the hardest man in Buckland, Jesus would have no problem sorting him out. He seriously wouldn't. He wouldn't be afraid of him. He'd know how to speak to him in complete love. But he'd also absolutely know how to deal with situations. I mean, he took on demons like that and rebuked them, and they became quiet. I love this. This is, this is the King of Kings and the yes. Lord of Lords who absolutely has power over everything. Yeah. But I love it that Jesus wasn't walking around boasting in this himself. Really, yeah. But listen what he did. In Luke 10.1, it says this. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all towns and places that, um, he had planned to visit. Isn't that great? That not only was doing it for his own self and look at my thing that I'm building, but he, he chose others because he wanted to grow others. Um, in Luke 10, 16 and 17, their response. Um, oh, no, Jesus speaking here as well. So he says, Then he said to the disciples, Anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. And anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. And anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. And when the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Isn't that miraculous? Yeah. How incredible their lives must have been changed that day. Because Jesus was discipling them to, not, to tune in to the kingdom of heaven. How to walk in the power of God. He was, like, this is like the best Bible college you could have ever gone to in your life. Like practical day this was. Like, let's get you, let's get you on the practicals this was today. Um, and it was like... Hands on, let's go. And I would have been on that one. That would have been my kind of one. Hands on. And they were out and they come back. And of course they would have been joyful because they had the authority of heaven. And it was like they were casting out demons and demons were leaving. And they must have been like, this is a joke. And this is unbelievable. Um, but I love this. And we look at this and think, oh yeah, that was great for them. But listen, Luke 10, 19, it doesn't stop. We've been given that same authority. It says, look, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. That's for you. You've been given the authority over the enemy. And you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. That's, that's a symbol. That, no, it's not, don't go to the pet shop and start dancing over snakes and scorpions. That's talking about the power of the enemy, who's a snake and he represents as a scorpion. You've been given the power to crush him. Nothing will injure you. Come on, that's a promise to stand on. And that's a promise for us to be teaching others, just as Jesus is teaching these. So he exercised the authority of heaven everywhere he went and he taught others to do the same. I love that. Again, it's, it's him drawing on the Father, but it's also him then leading others. He wasn't selfish just to think, I'll just get this done. He wanted to encourage others to do the same. This is a beautiful bit. Jesus pressed into the Father. Luke, 15, uh, Luke 5, sorry, 15 to 16. But despite Jesus' instructions, the reports of his power spread even faster, which you could imagine they would. This guy is healing people left, right and centre. People are going to come. Vast crowds came to him, preach, uh, came to hear him preach, and be healed of their diseases. Look at, look, look at verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. That's beautiful. That's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in his natural form. What did he have to do? He had to retreat into a place of communion with his Father, where he, where he, where he learned how to pray, where he learned how to press in. 
Um, disciples of Christ press in to relationship with him. We have a life of prayer and devotion, taking time out of our busyness of life to come before our Father and receive. Even Jesus did this. We have to have that time. We've all experienced it, right? We just busy our life with everything and we become so weary, so heavy. But that's because you're not meant to do that. Yeah. That's the reality, simple. You're meant to come before your Heavenly Father because if Christ did it and we're imitators of Him as disciples of Christ, then we should be doing it also. Coming before our Heavenly Father, that may be morning, that may be evening, that may be the middle of the day, but we should be taking out time when we feel heavy, when we feel pressed, to press in. But we should encourage others to do the same. We should be walking with others and helping them press into the Heavenly Father as well. And the last one I wanted to share, and I mean, we could pick loads of points from Jesus' life that we could, we, we could look at. But the last one was, he was obedient even when it didn't feel great. And that's one of those hard things, again, isn't it? Because obedience is great when you want to do it. Oh, I'll do that, happy days. Yeah, I'm such an obedient person. But going back to the Philippines again, like with rap past rap, when I didn't want to do something hard, you're thinking, oh, no, I've got to be obedient here, and it's, this is awful, I feel like a wally here in this moment, you know? Or it can be something where you, you, you feel like you, you're not quite sure how to do it, and you, you've got to be obedient even if it doesn't feel great, or your emotions are not really on it that day. Listen to this, in Luke 22, 41-42, a very familiar passage. He walked away about stone's throws within the Garden of Gethsemane, and he knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Every time I read this, I kind of tear up because you can feel like the almost anguish in his heart. Because, right, we would be terrified in this moment knowing what you're about to do. Then listen to what he says. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Isn't that a beautiful surrendered heart right there where he understands the lordship of his, his father? He's not in it for himself. He's not in this because, you know, well, tomorrow, Father, I wanted to go with the disciples and catch some more fish. You know, he, you know he, he wasn't into that. He was into the Father's will. And he said, not my will be done, but yours. And he was obedient. He didn't do anything outside of the Father's will for his life. He walked in union with the Father, and we too have been called to walk of obedience. Disciples of Jesus are obedient to his word. They practice the application of the word. And that's something we need to get others on board with, is the application of the word of God. If we really, again, I'm going back now to draw the picture at Family Church. We want to see people, ourselves grow and others grow and our church explode. I think the greatest thing we can do is sharpen other people, get alongside other people. Not think the responsibility of that person is someone else, but take ownership. Take ownership of everything in our lives. Be accountable with these people that are around us, especially new Christians. So what's more amazing about this, though, as I, as I just bring this to a conclusion, is that... God doesn't expect us to do this in our own strength. You know, it's not about you having to turn up and, and as I said, and draw on your own strength to do this. He gives us um, his power. He gives us, um, it's not religious self-effort or kind of legalism. He gives us his spirit and empowers us through grace to walk in the ways that he wants us to walk. In 1 Corinthians 15.10, this is in the Passion Translation, it says this, But God's amazing grace has made me who I am. Come on, we can all say that of ourselves. It's God's grace who's made us who we are. Yeah. It's not ourselves, it's God's grace. Yeah. And his grace, to me, was not fruitless. In fact, I worked harder than all the rest, yet not in my own strength, but God's. For his empowering grace is poured out upon me. Come on, let's get his empowering grace poured out upon our lives. I love that. I love the way it's, it's, it's verse because it means that we've got no excuse. I can't do that. 
well, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, not in your own effort, but in the strength of God. You know, this is stuff for the last 12 years that in my own walk with God that I've had to continue to say over myself. I've had walls all my life put up to say, I can't do this, can't do that, you're not good enough for this, you're not good enough for that. And you've had to battle it in your own mind and have to say, no, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is what a disciple does. He doesn't listen to the world's ways, he listens to God's ways, even if it doesn't make sense to the natural man. Natural man's going, what? What are you talking about? But the spirit inside you is agreeing with God and saying, no, no, you can do this. You watch what happens when you overcome this, when you stand out. Um, And just to finish again on this last little bit now, disciples versus crowd followers. I think this is really important. Disciples are close to Jesus. We need to understand that, that we don't want to be part of this crowd that followed Jesus. We want to be disciples that are close to Christ, right? Disciples talk to Jesus personally. Love that. We should have a personal relationship not a Sunday morning crowd mentality where we come to church, it should be, we should be helping others realise that church isn't just about Sunday morning. Because the world thinks that. That's, how, that's the world's ways of church. You go to church on Sunday and then you do what you want the rest of the week. But no, 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 the walk of God, the disciple of Christ wakes up Monday and is still a disciple. A crowd mentality is back to normal work until, until that moment Jesus comes again and I'll jump and follow him. Sunday morning comes, oh yeah, I'm a follower of Christ today, this is awesome. But no, 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 a disciple is someone that follows him every day. It's not a program within a church setting. It's the heartbeat of every born-again believer, and it's the culture of who we are. We are, and we say this every day, disciples of Jesus Christ. Disciples are imitators, not just crowd followers or church attendees. And I like this thought that I wrote down here, disciple-making movement, this movement that we're about to journey on, that I think is going to explode in our church. The disciple-making movement was born that moment that Jesus called those fishermen. And it's never stopped being an active movement. There has been disciples being made from generation to generation to generation, ever since Jesus first called those fishermen, who made disciples, who then others made disciples, who others then made disciples. It's a winning thing. We can win this, and we are going to cause others to know God in a deeper way when we realise that we can do it. That we have the ability in God to, to make disciples in our own world and grow them. And my prayer is that we would have such strength in our discipleship in our own hearts that when we go back to church, there wouldn't be a single person left not knowing what they're, where they are or what's going on in, in church, that they would have a strength around every person, new people, old people, whoever, such people around each other, strengthening each other. And Proverbs 27, 17 says this, it takes a grinding wheel to sharpen a blade, and so one person sharpens the character of another. Isn't that great? That's how we should be, sharpening each other. This is what I want discipleship. And one of the things that um, we have, we have a disciple-making team. Disciple-makers is a team that you would have seen on the list in church. And and, and it's not just a Sunday team. It's not just a cut. It is. There is a part of element to it. But it's more of a heartbeat, a culture of who we should all be. And we've written a manual. I mean, this manual talks about the basics of, of our faith. That you think, actually, I'm not sure how to lead someone. You don't need, you read this basic, I've read it, it's, I've read it, so it's, come on, it's, it's, it's basic. But it's, it's got such simplicity to it that you could sit down with someone in a coffee shop and they could ask you one question, the blood of Jesus, what's that all about? And you could go to it and say, well, this is what it's about. It's going to open conversations to help people grow in God. You know, there's going to be no excuses. And and me personally, whether anyone else does or not, I'm going to take ownership and run with all, everything that's within me with this. I'm going to allow, just like an avalanche is what I'm praying, of God's grace to be poured out so that no one would go. That when someone comes in and gets saved, they're not left in an incubator 
trying to feed themselves as a newborn baby, thinking, I don't really know what this is. Because we wouldn't do that with a natural baby, would we? We celebrate their life, but we also help them grow up. And that's what we need to do with, with, with these new Christians and, and with our own lives, God. We need to be looking in the mirror, sharpening our own lives, but then also looking for others. So that's my, that's my word tonight. I pray that you got something from it. I uh, pray it inspires. If you want to become part of the disciple making team, literally like serving on Sundays, come and speak to me. I want to empower you. I'd love to disciple you. I'd love to get around you, give you the manual, help you in all that kind of stuff as well. Um, and let's grow an incredible church. Come on, this is awesome. I'm really excited about this. Yes. So, yeah, awesome. Thanks, everyone, for listening. That was really good. Um, really, really good shot. I'm really excited. I think um, we keep saying at the moment, um, it's not about a few doing everything, it's about everyone doing something. And, uh, and as we're talking about the culture that we want to build in the church, this culture of welcome, of evangelism, of disciple making, next week Smudge is going to be talking about uh, developing a culture of worship, and then uh, we're going to be talking about having a culture of servanthood. Um, all of those things in terms of the culture of the church, all of us um, should be taking ownership of those things because that's who we are. Um, and we're not expecting everyone to then be on every team and do everything. We're simply expecting everyone to really own it in their hearts first and foremost. And then God will lead us into what we should be doing individually. <clears throat> and. Um, and I just love the fact that, that we've had such a great response to uh, the Gather and Build Night, that we've got some really uh, strong teams just begin, beginning to form, ready for when we regather um, at the end of the month, um, as long as it goes that way. Um, and uh, if it's not the end of the month, it'll be soon after. So just praying that, um, well, just praying for wisdom for our government. I think that's the best thing we can possibly pray at this time, is that our government would have great wisdom. So thank you.